0: Delaware prosecutors announced that they will drop all remaining charges against three men who were indicted for a fatal uprising at the James T. Vaughn Correctional Center in 2017. Seven of the eight men were incarcerated at Vaughn, have already been found not guilty, and one man was found guilty of lesser charges. We have heard the jury speak loud and clear that it would be futile to proceed forward with any more trials, Attorney General Kathy Jennings said. Dwayne Statz, the only person to be convicted of murder in the connection with the case, testified that he organized the uprising as a protest to get the attention of Governor John Carney. Over the past year, the political prisoner support movement has won an exciting number of releases, with long-term political prisoners from MOVE and the Black Panthers finally getting their freedom. But many other political prisoners remain behind bars, and their supporters are not slowing down. Leonard Peltier is a member of the American Indian Movement, who has been behind bars since he was legally kidnapped from Canada by the FBI in the 1970s. This week, we speak with two committed supporters, Paulette and Sheridan, about Leonard's case, his health challenges as he ages behind bars, and ongoing legal and political work to free him. Sheridan is a Florida AIM organizer, while Paulette is a dedicated member of the Jericho Movement, and she also shares some reflections on Jericho's decades-long effort to support political
1: prisoners. Here they are. Good afternoon. My name is Paulette Tote rabidou I'm the National Director of the Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, and I'm a member of the National Board of the Jericho Movement for Political Prisoners. And so I'd like to talk a little bit today about an update on the Jericho Movement and what's happening. And then I would like to have the president of the Peltier Board, Sheridan Murphy, who is also Florida AIM. So he's gonna give you an update on what's going on. So as people should know, uh, in the state of New York, Herman Bell and Robert Seth Hayes have been released from prison. Uh, Jaleel Montacune, who is the last of the New York Three, is still inside and will be going to the board in September. He does have an appeal on that. So what usually happens is that the appeal will come up. It'll be finalized the day before he's supposed to go to the board. So he'll go to the board and then actually have time for a second board within that short period of time. So we are working on Jaleel's case. Also, for those of you who have followed Jericho prisoners, the Virgin Island three folks, Hanif Shabazz Abdulaziz, and Malik Smith, have been moved from Mississippi to the Citrus County Detention Center in Florida. They are starting their 49th year of incarceration and have been struggling with the people in the Virgin Islands to try and be returned to the islands. They were there four years ago. They had a hurricane. The prison was pretty much destroyed and the Virgin Islands sent them to these private prisons and they are trying to be returned. So if there's anybody here in Florida, and they are close to the Citrus County Detention Center, which is about 72 miles from Tampa Northeast and about uh, 65 miles southeast of Gainesville, please call me at 790-7667, and I can help you set up a visit for one of the three men. They are allowed a two-hour behind-glass visit once a week. Now, they, as prisoners within the CCA, are supposed to be in an institution that provides programming for them. They are not. They are in a county jail, which has a contract with CCA. It is incredibly oppressive. They are locked down 20... four hours a day. Every other day, they get an hour outside, but they are not supposed to be held there. So the Jericho Movement has on their website information on writing to them and to the governor and the lieutenant governor of the Virgin Islands, as well as the head of the parole board there to try and force them to bring them back. Now, They are not the only Virgin Island prisoners that are there. There are 140 prisoners that are moved in a block from the Virgin Islands. But these are our comrades, the Virgin Island Three. And so um, if they're able to get home, the rest would follow. So it's very important that we do some work around them and try and get a hold of the officials in the Virgin Islands. The prison there is still in pretty bad shape, but the head of the Department of Corrections has said that if she can get prisoners back, then they will do the work on building, rebuilding the prison and be able to make a few dollars for themselves. Because right now they have no way to make any money for commissary. And being this far from home and given the economic situation of the Virgin Islands, it's incredibly hard for people to, you know, have any money to buy toothpaste, uh, much less any food stuffs that they might need. So that's one of the main things that Jericho is doing. And I would really like to spend a little more time on Leonard, so I'd like to introduce you to Sheridan Murphy, who is the president of the Leonard Peltier Board, as well as a member of the American Indian Movement here in Florida. Sheridan?
2: Leonard Peltier is a member of the American Indian Movement who, uh, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation during the 1970s, uh, following the liberation of Wounded Knee, which was where members of the American Indian Movement occupied Uh, The village of Wounded Knee to address the imposition of tribal councils on traditional native people who had their own system of government since before Jesus walked the earth and, you know, whatever, you know, Uh, and the nepotism and corruption of that system at that time. Uh, So they liberated Wounded Knee uh, for 71 days against the full might of the United States Army. They had uh, military forces there against those people in that village. In the wake of that, there was a FBI-sponsored civil war, for lack of a better word. But it wasn't really a civil war because it was FBI-induced on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation where they had a group called the uh, Guardians of the Oglala Nation, which was aptly named, uh, goons that would terrorize traditional people. Uh, and anyone that they thought might be supporting the American Indian Movement. So in that atmosphere, people asked for help from the American Indian Movement, and among those that answered the call was a group from the Northwest, which included uh, Bob Rabidu, Leonard Peltier, Dino Butler, a whole group of people, and they encamped at a place called uh, the Jumping Bull Hall, where the Jumping Bull family lived. Uh, And they had tents, so they called it Tent City. Uh, And in that atmosphere, two FBI agents with a warrant they didn't have in their possession for someone they knew wasn't there, drove on unannounced into this compound that they themselves, the FBI themselves, had said this is a dangerous, this is a dangerous aim compound. And they mislabeled sweat lodges, which is a traditional uh, prayer location, their little tent things that people go in and pray with hot rocks. Uh, they mislabeled those as bunkers, military bunkers. Uh, they sent two guys with a warrant they didn't have. For someone who wasn't there, into this bunker situation, right, uh, and of course, seeing two people they didn't know who had weapons, somebody fired first. There was a shootout in defense, and two FBI agents were killed, along with a Coeur d'Alene uh, Native brother by the name of Joe Stunts, Joe Killswright Stunts. Uh, the FBI, uh, to compress it for time, the FBI uh, arrested the two men, uh, Daryl Butler and Bob Rabideau for the killing of the FBI agents. Uh, they were tried in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And when presented with all the evidence and all the actual evidence, the truthful evidence of this case, a all-white Cedar Rapids, Iowa jury found two members of the American Indian movement, two Indian members, of the, they found them not guilty by reason of self-defense, which is an earth-shattering reality for the, you know, uh, the GIs, the good guys, the, the G-men, the FBI. They, 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 uh, They lost, they were the bad guys, and the Indians were the good guys. It was desert shattering coming from Indian country, the plains, right? So Leonard uh, was not with them, and the FBI realized the error of their ways, I guess, by telling the truth. They learned that that wasn't the way they wanted to try a case. So the FBI actually created a sheet, which we obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. The lessons learned in Cedar Rapids fact sheet, you know, and they went through the stuff that they didn't want presented in the case. And we believe they actually judge shot, And we have some documentation to that. So they went around and they moved the case where it should have been tried in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to a racist judge in Fargo, North Dakota. And in order to get Leonard, they fabricated three affidavits by a mentally incompetent Lakota woman by the name of Myrtle Poor Bear, who didn't know what she was writing. Uh, to paraphrase her affidavits, the first one basically says, I didn't know what happened. I wasn't there. I don't know anything. Thank you. Have a nice day. The second one says, well, I was there. I saw what happened. That Leonard guy shot the agents. Have a nice day. Both of those affidavits were contradictory, and Canada said, No, we're not extraditing him. So the FBI actually helped write the third affidavit with the U.S. attorney that says, Leonard was my girl, my boyfriend. Uh, I not only was there when he shot the agents, but somehow he held my head while he was shooting them. So I was forced to look. And that's what Canada took and extradited him, based on that, to the, to the United States. Uh, the U.S. Attorney since realized those affidavits were a fraud and didn't present them at trial. But they excluded from trial all the evidence of the war that was going on on Pine Ridge which had the highest murder rate and still may have in the history of the United States at the time. I mean, Detroit had a lower murder rate than Pine Ridge. Uh, So they excluded all that evidence, the terror, what the FBI was doing on the res, why somebody would be afraid of two late model cars flying up and people shooting. Um, They excluded all that. They fabricated uh, ballistics evidence. They took a gun from an exploded car that was melted beyond recognition and did a ballistics test and originally said, no, that that isn't it. That's not the bullet gun that fired the bullet. Then they said, oh, wait, later they said, oh, we did another extractor test. And yep, it is the gun. And Leonard was carrying it, which they've never been able to actually prove. They intimidated three teenage boys from the American Indian Movement that happened to be there that day and got them to testify that Leonard, they saw Leonard shoot the agents. Um, All three recanted. Uh, and said, we were forced, we were intimidated, we were told we'd never see our mothers again, that we would be in some dark hole for the rest of our lives unless we said Leonard did it. All of this has come out, Uh, but that trial happened and the jury, faced with all these fraudulent evidence that they thought was real, convicted Leonard of the murder of the agents. Uh, In subsequent appellate court hearings, uh, the court wrote rather tortured appeals saying, well, yeah, the FBI lied, they fabricated all this, but Leonard's still got to stay in. And we've now found out through one of the last Freedom of Information Act reports we did uh, just a few years ago in the 21st century, not even in the 1970s, that the FBI actually was visiting the judges. And uh, we can guess what that meeting went like. So I think that's why the judges had these tortured responses, because... Faced with the information, well, yeah, this is bad. Oh, they fight, they fake the ballistics. It's falsified. Oh, yeah, but it's not, doesn't rise to the level I can let them out, you know, they're, they're saying. Uh, and the reason for that tortured response, obviously, is the FBI visited him, which anybody that knows law understands that a party to a case can't have an individual meeting with a judge. It's an ex-party meeting and it's illegal. So that's why Leonard's still in jail. Uh, he's exhausted his appeals. Um, he attempted to, we've attempted to get clemency several times, Bill Clinton actually promised clemency, but the FBI, in a historic move, actually protested in front of the White House. I forget how many. was It like 2,000 agents or something ridiculous like that, actually held little signs and protested. They became activists. It's kind of (laughs) cute. The FBI is activists. Um, And Clinton didn't let Leonard out. Uh, Obama said he was going to let Leonard out and, and never did. So we've gone through this, you know, and now you have Donald Trump who as odd as he is and what a wild card he is, actually hates the FBI and sees them as an agency that may fabricate evidence. So we have made some effort to try to get information to Donald Trump, uh, since he seems to understand that the federal Bureau of intimidation is not a sacred cow. And he might look, uh, honestly at the information and let Leonard out. It's a wild card, but you know, we're trying anything we can do. I saw Leonard yesterday, uh, working very diligently on his case. Uh, He was in really good spirits. I mean, for a guy that's been uh, incarcerated for more than four decades uh, and has absolutely no reason to be behind bars, really, uh, he's uh, in pretty decent spirits for somebody having that issue. He has some health concerns. He has a aortic aneurysm that's at, uh, I think it's four centimeters. Uh, They said they'd take care of it if it's at five. Um, They really don't provide a real good health care for these guys that are incarcerated in there. Uh, He has a prostate issue, uh, and they have not treated it. Uh, They said the routine treatment, for whatever reason, doesn't work, and they haven't provided us a reason why it doesn't work. When we ask for the records, they say we have to file a Freedom of Information Act request to get his medical records, even though he signed over a HIPAA statement that we could get his medical records. So that's his health concerns. You know, he's 74 years old. We're hoping that maybe With the new laws, they could consider compassionate release. We don't know. And there's other legal avenues that we're looking at. You know, there was a lot of false statements and fraud that occurred with his case. Uh, The affidavits that got him extradited from Canada were completely false and fabricated. Uh, There was other false information given to the Canadian government that um, we can't get because they sealed those records and won't provide them to us. There's still over 10,000, I think it is, pages of information that the Federal Bureau of Interpretation won't send over even though we filed FOIAs. We recently filed a FOIA, the attorney Mike Kuzma recently filed a FOIA and he's having to go to court to fight for it. So we're still at that stage with Leonard's case, you know, four decades later.
1: There's also, uh, you know, Leonard had filed for a transfer. Leonard is hoping to be transferred to Oxford, Wisconsin, which is 466 miles exactly from his sister's house in Fargo, North Dakota. That is the closest he would ever be. He has never been within 1,000 miles of his home because of his status as a high-security prison. But he was denied his transfer. They said at 75 he was a high-security risk for escape. Well, 25 years ago, I think it was, in the 80s or 90s. I can't even remember now. So much has gone on. Leonard did escape in 79. But now at 75, Leonard like has you know arthritis, has problems walking, and so on and so forth. So to expect a slightly overweight elderly man to jump over a fence is uh, pretty ridiculous. So when it was denied, we started the appeal process. And... The warden, who signed off on Leonard's first request for this transfer, because the warden has to be willing to sign it before it goes out of the prison, and so he told Leonard that he was going to resubmit it, that he supported Leonard in his transfer. So we stopped the appeal process because it's now gone back to the human resource officer in Texas. And once it gets past that, then it will go directly to Washington, D.C. And if it's approved there, then Leonard would be moved to Wisconsin. We're not writing letters, but we're on hold because the human resource has 30 days to respond. And so he probably has another 15 days before we have to hear from them. The person that denied him the transfer is well known amongst the elders. Leonard is considered an elder. Anybody, I think, at 60 and above in the federal system is considered an elder. And they now have special elder units where it's single cell. And if there is a lockdown in the prison, they are not locked into their cells, but can go to the day room, which is much healthier for them. And Leonard said, I want to thank all the prison workers who have got us an elder unit instead of getting me home. You know, he said, uh, everybody says, geez, why don't we just go home? Instead, now they have a special unit for older people. So he said, you know, all you activists, thank you very much. (laughs) But it is better, you know. Um, It's safer for them. Um, Leonard said, sometimes out in the yard, it's very dangerous. Uh, These young people, he said will say the guard will tell them to do something and they'll say you're not my father I don't have to listen to you and so as the guard and this prisoner wrap up 90 percent of the time the prisoner will take on the guard which means there's a big fight going on and the people in the elderly unit are you know before there was one were often in danger so this way they're at least have a level of security that they didn't have before. So Leonard is in Coleman Prison. If you go on whoisleonardpeltier.info is his address. Uh, his national office is in Tampa at 116 West Osborne Avenue, Tampa, Florida, 33603. And if you would like to come by and see Leonard's artwork, which we have at the national office, just call me ahead of time. The number for the national office is Come by, we'll have coffee, we'll talk. You can see Leonard's work. We have his books there. We have uh, some music done by his nephew. And it's a way to see the money that folks have given us over the years where it's gone. Now, Leonard's artwork is donated to the national office. Leonard does not have access to it. Once it leaves the prison, it belongs to us and we use it as a way of raising funds. Leonard, not only compassionate release, uh, the transfer, but in Bellingham, Washington, Larry Hildes, who is one of Leonard's attorneys, is fighting against or for Leonard's First Amendment rights. Leonard was involved in a art show. His son put in four of his pictures. The people knew ahead of time that the FBI could, in fact, Uh, picket the place when the art show is going on because they've done everything they can to disrupt Leonard. And in fact, uh, Ed Woods wrote an article and letters to the people who put on the art show. I think it was the Department of Water. It was for Native American Month. And wrote these letters uh, saying that Leonard was, quote, a cop killer and this, that, and the other, and so intimidated the people that they took down his art Chauncey Leonard's son uh, filed a lawsuit and the judge found in favor of the FBI because they were whistleblowers. And in Washington, you cannot fight against the whistleblowers. But the judge said, no matter who is doing this, Leonard has as much right as any other citizen to show his artwork. And there is absolutely no reason that it had to be taken down. So they're filing a suit against these people in hopes either to have a special show for Leonard or some acknowledgement that it was taken down uh, because of intimidation. So we're also looking at that. And actually, we have a trial date in January of 2020, and uh, Larry Hildes, who is the attorney, is going to attempt to bring Leonard to... It will be in Tacoma. So if you live in the Northwest in January of next year, Hopefully you'll get to see Leonard in person because he has not been allowed to any of his hearings. But uh, since this will be a regular case, Larry is going to attempt to bring Leonard there. So hopefully over this period of time, we'll be able to you know, move forward and have some positive things. You all know his address, I'm sure. You can find it online and drop him a note. When you write to federal prisoners now, you must only write on white paper with a blue or black pen. When you send the envelope, do not put a return address sticker. There can be no stickers on the envelope. They will send it back. The new laws they say has to do with drugs. With all these new synthetic drugs, they turn them into water. Colored paper does not show. It can be soaked and then dried. Um, and Leonard said some of these young people, he said he doesn't know what drugs they're getting, he said, but I think they had two deaths at Coleman, and he said, you know, um, desperation on the part of these young people, he said, drug abuse is rampant, so while he's not happy with it, which means he can't get drawings from his grandkids, um, a lot of the elder prisoners say these drugs that are synthetic are just deadly for young people and causes all kind of erratic behavior. And so um, I would rather have Leonard be safe than um, somebody get high. So while I don't like it and don't think Leonard should have to suffer for this other people's behavior, um, I would rather have Leonard safe.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a heartbreaking case if you uh, have any inkling of what justice is supposed to be. You know, the, the reality of that day of June 26th is that the United States government has no business being on the sovereign territory of the Uglalaquita nation. And, uh, you know, for a country that's at war with the world all the time, they should respect when they invade a country and the people defend themselves. Uh, unless they want all their soldiers tried for all the crimes they're committing everywhere across the world. You know, uh, and, you know it's sad that those two guys, those agents uh, had to die, but that's what happens when you're in a war, unfortunately.
1: And the the other part of that day is that that was the day Richard Wilson who was the tribal chairman was signing away a quarter of the reservation for uranium mining. Now they already had forces outside the reservation. If you look at it from that way, you understand that they used their own men as a cover. For this hand, the left hand is signing away, the right hand will we'll send the FBI in, they'll go in there. If anything happens, we're already on the reservation. If the people on the reservation find out that Wilson has signed this away and the money's going to his family and they have some kind of revolt then we'll be ready. And the FBI, of course, won't admit it and the families of the agents you know really do not want to think that the government set up these two men and they were young men they were in their 20s 25 26 years old uh, had families and um you know leonard has often said you know um nobody set out to kill anybody that day you know we were in camp These guys appeared, they pulled their weapons, they didn't identify themselves. And he said, you know, they shouldn't have died and neither should Joe, who also had a family and Mm -hmm. children. So it really becomes a way of looking at how the United States attempts to take resources from Native people Mm -hmm. and uses other government agencies as a cover for doing this. So it's, it's just another, I mean, it's another view of colonialism. You know, they think they are still the 7th Calvary, and they have every right to ride roughshod over the Lakota people or any indigenous. We saw the same thing at Standing Rock, you know. There's still 600 people waiting to go to trial around Standing Rock. So the government's use of stealing natural resources and setting somebody else up Is uh, become a very common way of them attempting to, not attempting, but actually stealing water and resources from indigenous people who are forced into a land, you know, which is a nation. They are not a people, they are a sovereign nation. They have signed treaties and they realize they never are going to control the native nations. They always have their own language, tradition, their prayers, everything that's sacred to them Um, has never been destroyed it's certainly been decimated by the government but the people themselves you know hold it within their hearts and continue to practice as indigenous people so it really is just another attempt of uh, imperialism on the part of the U.S. government to uh, take over native lands and uh, try and destroy their sovereignty. Free Leonard. Free all political prisoners. Exactly.
2: And one last thing regarding Leonard. What's amazing in his case, now that it's 40 years on, is you even have the U.S. attorney, the U.S. attorney that was over his appeals, James Reynolds, who has said, you know, he didn't think Leonard did a crime. You know, that they shaved, he admits the FBI shaved corners, which is basically saying, yeah, we broke the rules. And he said that he didn't think Leonard participated in a crime, he was just out there to protect his people. Which is all Leonard was doing that day. And all all Bob was doing and all Dino was doing and all the other people. You know, and Leonard's case, as she said, is one that uh, even though it occurred 40 years ago, go look at what they did to Red Fawn on Standing Rock. You know, planted a boyfriend and gave him a gun and he planted the gun. So she's in jail for five or seven years, whatever the thing is, because she had a boyfriend. Right. And she stood up and he planted it. And the FBI completely fabricated that whole situation to put a Native person in jail. So it's not just a historical, oh, that was the bad, big, bad 70s. That's happening now to Native people.
0: This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, Kite Line Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.